Hello, welcome to our online service. I'm so glad that you're here today, that you clicked this button, and we're about to share a precious time together. Just hearing from Jesus, I just encourage you, wherever you are right now, whatever you're doing, if you're driving, if you're at home or cooking, whatever you're up to, just invite Jesus into this place and get ready for this message that Pastor Alan has for us today. So I bless you in this time and enjoy the message. Hey, Christ community, happy Mother's Day weekend. We are so grateful for all the moms out there and the incredible sacrifices that you have made and you continue to make for your family. So thank you. We honor and celebrate you. Uh, So a few weeks ago, we embarked on a significant journey for us as a church where we're taking a year to go through the book of John. The book of John really is an amazing book. It was written by one of Jesus' closest friends, whose life was transformed by him, which is really at the heart of why John decided to write this book, this eyewitness account of Jesus' life. John wants people everywhere to understand who Jesus truly is and to find life in him. You know, I can't think of anything more needed in the hearts of Christ followers today and in the church today than a fresh encounter with the person of Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, I was out of town visiting my son and his wife for a baby shower. First grandbaby is coming. Um, So while we were out there, I had the opportunity to connect with some of their friends um, and to catch up on life and just kind of see how they were doing. In one of these conversations, this 20-something gal began to share with me about her spiritual journey and how even after growing up in a Christian home and attending a Christian college, she finds herself now in this place of wrestling with her faith having doubts about certain things that she's been taught about Christianity and about God. And and you could tell this was a really difficult season for her. And she's not alone. I mean, this kind of spiritual deconstruction is happening a lot these days, whether it's related to Christianity and politics, the church or the Bible or sexuality or whatever. There's a lot of disillusionment, a lot of wrestling going on, which can feel very unsettling for someone going through that or for a loved one who is watching someone go through that. But what I'm discovering is that that process can actually be a good thing depending on how we wrestle with these things. Uh, A few months ago, Pastor Stetson used an analogy of deconstruction being like art restoration. Um, When restoring a piece of artwork, we are simply trying to remove the debris and the dust from the surface so that the original artwork shines through more clearly. And I feel like that's what John is trying to do in this book and why it can be so helpful to us today. Maybe there, there is some debris, some dust, some misperceptions about God or about Jesus that have started to build up in our relationship with him. And what we need is a fresh look at who Jesus is without all the clutter. So John, really, he wants to shine a 10,000-watt beacon on Jesus so that we see him in the fullness of who he is. And in that seeing, our lives are transformed by him. So let's let him do that, okay? In the midst of this crazy, fast-paced, attention-deficit world that we live in, let's slow down in this book. And let's let John show us afresh who Jesus really is. 
Now, what I love about John's approach is that he invites us on a journey of discovery with him. So in the first 18 verses of this book, which are often referred to as the prologue, John gives us this incredible picture of who Jesus is. And today we're focusing on verses 9 through 18. But in order to do that, we need to understand the foundation that John has powerfully and poetically laid in the first few verses. So John begins with these words, verses 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So in this intro, John is intentionally connecting with anyone who has a general belief in the concept of God. This is why he uses this term word, or the Greek word is actually the word logos. Much of Greek philosophy at that time was focused on this idea that given the observable order of the universe, there must be something behind that order, a reason, a divine mind, a higher power. And the Greeks often referred to this as logos or the word. Now, when you think about that, this is very much the way many people think about God today, right? The vast majority of people are not atheists. Most people look at the universe and acknowledge the presence of some higher power, this word, this creator that has always existed. I mean, over the years, when when I have found myself in a place where I'm maybe doubting the existence of God or whatever, this is one of the most powerful evidences that I turn to the incredible design that we see all around us. Our physical bodies are a masterpiece of design. I mean, the eye, for instance, is is just an incredible work of genius. Our digestive system, our nervous system, our skin's ability to absorb, our blood's ability to clot, our, our body's ability to heal itself. And to think all of these systems are working together and are powered by a heart muscle that never has to be plugged in or recharged. I mean, think about that. My iPhone can only last about a day and a half without, um, you know, before it needs to be charged. Our heart keeps powering on for decades and never has to be plugged in. Beyond our own physical bodies, we look at the order of the heavens, our 24-hour day, and the fact that we are the perfect distance from the sun. We have just the right percentage of water on this planet for life to happen. And then you look at the molecular level and you see the amazing engineering and design of DNA and all of that. I mean, I could go on and on about all the evidence that, for me, points toward a universal intelligent designer. See, that's the idea of logos. That's this word. Now, if we just stop there like many people do, we have a problem. See, the problem is this higher power is intelligent, but it's basically unknowable. It is impersonal. It is, you know, distant and unreachable. And, 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 and so we as humans are then left to create these ideas about what this logos, this God is like and how we can possibly move towards him, closer to him. And this is how religions got formed, Right. We as humans created these religious systems to help us get closer to this divine being, this logos, this God who is up there. I mean, there are thousands of religious ideas and systems spanning centuries. 
And no wonder a lot of people sort of throw up their hands at that point and say, what's the use? I mean, there's so many religions out there. Who are we to know which one is right, what God is really like? Just believe what you want to believe. Follow whatever religious practice that you feel like following. Because again, this divine being is basically unknowable. We, we intuitively know he exists, but we don't know what he's like. Now, this is where John makes an incredibly radical statement that completely shifts this entire religious paradigm. It changes everything. John 1 verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now, this is so radical. John is saying, look, this isn't about us having to figure out what we need to do to get to God, you know, what, yeah, yeah, what religion we need to follow in order to get to God, nor is this about us trying to guess what God is like. No, because this logos, this divine word, this true light has actually come to us. That's what John is saying, which raises a very important question. How did this happen? How did this divine one, this logos, come to us. Well, John tells us in verse 14, which is one of the most profound, mind-blowing sentences or statements ever made. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John is saying that this divine being, this transcendent higher power, this uncaused cause, this true light didn't simply come to earth in the form of some angelic vision. There are plenty of religions that claim that. No, John is saying that this logos, this divine being became a man. This one that cannot be contained within the confines of our universe chose to be confined within a human body. He became a human being. John is articulating here the theological concept known as the incarnation, God becoming man. Those four words, the word became flesh, those four words are what distinguishes Christianity from every other world religion. In every other, other world religion, people are trying to figure out how to get to God. Do this, don't do that. But in Christianity, God comes to us. And he does so, again, not by appearing in some spiritual angelic form. No, he does so by becoming one of us. He took on human flesh. Look again at verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, the language John uses here, that God made his dwelling among us, is language taken directly from the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. So in the Old Testament, after God had rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, he told them, he commanded them to build this thing called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was basically a large tent that could be moved with the people whenever they moved. And so in the outer courts of this tabernacle, sacrifices would be offered for the forgiveness of sins. But within this tabernacle was this place called the Holy of Holies. And this was the place where God dwelt among his people. But only the high priest could enter into that place and only on certain holy days with sacrificial blood and all that. So the tabernacle was this physical location for a holy God to dwell among his people. Whenever the people would move, they would pack up the tabernacle and bring it with them and then set it up wherever they landed and so, so that God would be with them. This was all that the Jewish people knew. 
This was all that they knew about God's presence. It had this idea of the tabernacle or it became the temple, permanent temple. But it was this whole idea. This is all that they knew at that point. Now, here's what's so fascinating. When John says in verse 14 that God made his dwelling among us, the language John uses literally means God tabernacled among us. God has come to us in human form and made his dwelling, his tabernacle right here with us on earth, not in a building, but in a human body. Now, this is obviously an astounding, mind-blowing claim, which raises this question, how do we know this to be the case? What evidence is there that this is actually true? Well, look at what John says next. Verse 14, we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John is saying, look, I'm not talking about some rumor I heard or some UFO encounter I read about. No, I have actually seen this man. I have seen him up close and personal. I spent three years with this guy. We were friends. I had a front row seat into his life. I mean, when you spend three years with someone day and night, you get to know them. And usually, you know, they kind of get on your nerves, right? Because you really get to know them. All their irritating habits and all of that. I, I had a college roommate who used to hang his sweaty jock strap on the doorknob to dry out. It was just disgusting. Okay, so here is John who has spent three years with Jesus. And notice the word he uses to describe this Jesus. Glory. John says, I have seen his glory. This word glory is a powerful word in the Bible. It refers to the fullness, the perfection, the beauty, the splendor of God. John is saying that he has seen, up close and personal, he has seen the glory of God in the person of Jesus, the Son of God. John is an eyewitness. Jumping down to verse 18, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. See, notice what John is saying here. Jesus is the one and only, the unique Son of God, who fully and completely reveals to us exactly what God the Father is like. Jesus has made God known to us in a tangible way. So no longer is God this unknowable, distant, nebulous, philosophical being that we can only guess about what he's like. No, we can know what God is like because God has become a man and made his dwelling among us. We have eyewitnesses who have seen him and lived with him and testified that this is who he is. Jesus is fully God in the fullness of man. He shows us, he reveals to us what God is really like. Now, John is going to spend the rest of this book describing for us through various miracles and encounters with people what Jesus is really like. But in these verses here, in this prologue, John gives us a succinct and powerful summary of what Jesus, i.e. God, is really like. Look with me at verses 14 to 17. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
Now, what John is doing here is so fascinating. He is intentionally using language that points back to a very significant passage in the Old Testament, which we looked at in our most recent teaching series, Exodus 33 and 34. In Exodus 33, Moses says to God, show me your glory, show me your glory. And God responds by saying, I can't show you my glory because you would not survive the experience, but I can reveal to you my name my character. And so then in Exodus 34, God reveals himself to Moses as the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving sin. Okay. Now here's what is so cool about what's happening in John 1. Well, what's happening here is that John is saying what Moses was unable to see, we have seen. We have seen his glory in the person of Jesus. And then John takes two words, two of the words that God uses in Exodus 34 to describe himself. But John now uses these two words to summarize who Jesus is. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Those two words are taken directly from Exodus 34. Grace refers to God's extravagant, abundant, undeserved, unfailing love for us. It is a waterfall of mercy and love. And the word truth refers to the faithfulness of God's character as well as the content of his teaching in his life. Jesus consistently speaks and proclaims truth. He's not afraid to call out and expose the lies of the enemy and the evil of the enemy and those who are unwilling, unwillingly following those deceitful ways. I mean, this, this is the light that John has been referring to earlier in this passage. He says, Jesus brings light into the darkness with his truth. So what a beautiful and powerful combination. Jesus is full of grace and truth. This is who God is. This is what God is like. And this is exactly what we need him to be in the midst of the world in which we live, in a world where there is so much brokenness and self-hatred and shame and pain. We desperately need a God who is filled with grace, a God who moves toward us in abundant love and is eager to pour out that love and healing upon us. And we also need a God who is full of truth, a God who brings light into the darkness, a God who, who brings truth into those places in our own lives or in our world where the enemy is sowing lies. We need both grace and truth. Without truth, grace becomes sentimentalism. And, and without grace, truth easily becomes weaponized. So what we need in, in full measure, we need both of these in full measure. And that's what Jesus brings. He is full of grace and truth. You know, so often, especially in these days in which we live, I've noticed that people, it seems like people either, they camp out on one side of that or the other side of that. So there are those who only focus on Jesus' grace. Doesn't matter how you live, Jesus loves, he affirms everything you do, you know, all that. And on the other hand are those who boldly speak truth, but without any compassion and grace toward those that they're speaking to. But Jesus fully embodies both of these, which gives us a, a really helpful lens to navigate our world. We need this, right? In terms of all the confusion and all the pain that is out there. Man, we need this to navigate our world. But it also gives us a lens to use 
to navigate our own experiences of deconstruction, like I, I talked about in the introduction. In the midst of our own doubts and questions, what if we process those things through the lens of Jesus being the complete revelation of what God is like, full of grace and truth? For instance, let's say someone, you're talking to someone who has given up on Christianity because of a significant negative experience that they had, right, with a church that, let's say, ostracized them after they went through a divorce. That would be a really painful experience. But the question is, does that church's response accurately reflect the grace and truth of Jesus? And if not, then it's okay to avoid that church and at the same time continue to pursue this Jesus who is full of grace and truth and to find a group of believers, a church that actually embraces Jesus in the fullness of grace and truth. Another example, when we perhaps wrestle, you know, with some difficult passage in the Old Testament where God seems to be, uh, you know, uh, commanding people to do some violent things, rather than letting those passages, those difficult passages, singularly define what God is like and deciding we want nothing to do with a God like that, what if we process those questions through the lens of Jesus? who is full of grace and truth. And, and, and we just acknowledge that there's a lot that we don't understand about what was going on in those violent passages, but we do know Jesus. We know what he is like and that he fully reveals to us the heart of God, the Father. This has made such a huge difference in my own life. When I come across something in the Bible that I don't understand or in circumstances in my life or the lives of other people that I just don't understand, it makes it look like God doesn't care. I can choose to keep my eyes and my heart fixed on Jesus and press into my relationship with him. There is so much room to grow deeper in my relationship with Jesus in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's what the apostle Paul says about Jesus. So in other words, I don't have to have all the answers when I have Jesus. He is with me in my questions, in my processing in my doubts, in my difficulties. In his excellent book uh, called After Doubt, How to Question Your Faith Without Losing It by A.J. Swoboda, he tells the story, in this book, he tells the story about a young, of a young woman who was in the throes of deconstructing and questioning her faith. She'd been raised in a Christian home, but felt like she wasn't really given room to explore her faith and to make her that faith her own. It was just kind of thrust upon her. And what made this even worse was that in her home, there were no boundaries. Her mother at every whim would just barge into her room. Even in her teenage years, just barge into her room at any time, day or night without knocking. And so this young woman ended up turning away from her faith during college. But after college, she felt this desire to re-explore the faith she had left. And so she decided to start reading afresh the New Testament. And as she was reading, she came across this passage in Revelation 3, verse 20, where Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. He doesn't barge in. He knocks. And she was overwhelmed, even liberated by this image of Jesus compared to the experience she had with her mom growing up. See, for her, this idea that Jesus honored boundaries, 
that helped create the trust that she needed to return to her faith. I love that story because it is such a great reminder that Jesus knows us. He knows our stories and he wants to meet us there. I mean, this is what the incarnation is all about. I mean, John's ultimate point here is not simply to wax eloquently at some philosophical level about Logos becoming man and all that. I mean, no, no. His ultimate point is that you and I can live in the reality of a God who is with us. We can experience him personally. We can walk with him through whatever difficulties or struggles that we're going through. All right, so how does that happen? Well, John tells us a few verses earlier in this passage. Look with me again, beginning in verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Notice what John is saying. All of us have a choice. We can choose to just keep doing life on our own, following the ways of the world, living in darkness, or we can choose to actually receive this Jesus into our lives by faith. And when we do that, John says that we become a new person, a beloved child of God. In other words, an incarnation happens in us. Jesus comes to live in us. We become the tabernacle. We become the temple, the dwelling place of God. Friends, this is about as, this is a, about as personal as it gets. Jesus, the Logos, the Word, the Creator, the One who is light and life, This Jesus comes to live in you and me. So let let me just highlight two points of application. First of all, if you have never received Jesus by faith, not as a matter of works, but just trusting him, if you've never done that, he invites you to do so. But he's not going to force his way. He's not going to force his way. He waits for you to humbly say yes to him, to receive him and enter into his life. So we're going to pray in just a moment about that, if that's you. The second point of application, for those of us who have received Jesus, many of you watching this, you have received Jesus. If that's you, let me just ask, are you and I fully living in the reality that John describes here? I mean, can you imagine the difference it would make in your life and my life if we were continually aware of this reality, that we are God's beloved children and that Jesus is with us, the word became flesh and made his dwelling in us. The fullness of who God is lives in you. He can bring his light into the darkness around you. He can bring his grace into the brokenness of your failures. He can bring his truth into those places where sin has deceived us and is wreaking havoc. It's amazing. I mean, as I was, as I was finishing this message, I was just tying together a few things, kind of finishing it up. After, you know, spending a few days thinking about and writing about these soaring theological ideas that John presents here in this prologue, Right at the end, just finishing that up and thinking about all this stuff, I felt this prompting in my heart to get away from my computer and to get alone with God. 
and to just allow my soul a few minutes to ponder these truths, not just my head, to allow my soul, my inner being, to my heart to ponder these truths and to receive afresh into my heart the fullness of who Jesus is. See, that's John's ultimate invitation to us in this passage. It is for us to experience Jesus, the word, making his dwelling among us. Let's pray. So as we quiet our hearts here, I want to just give a couple of invitations to response, which I mentioned a moment ago. First response is for those of you who have never received Jesus. You've never been born from above, as John says, through faith. It's not about trying to be a good person and try to do these religious things. It's about receiving the gift of Jesus, placing your trust in him. And if you've never done that, I want to invite you right now to do that. I'll lead you in a prayer and you can, you can receive Jesus right now. Just pray along with me. God, I choose to receive Jesus. I place my trust in you alone, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin and for rising from the dead to give me life. And I receive the fullness of your life. I ask you to forgive my sin and come live in me through the presence of your spirit. God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Thank you for them. And I pray you'd help them grow in this relationship with you. Now, for those of you who have received Jesus, you've known him maybe for a long time. You, you, you've placed your faith in him maybe years ago or whatever. Let me just, I want, I want you to think a moment. Take a moment. If you have received Jesus, take a moment and think about this truth. That Jesus, the true light, the word, the son of God, the, the, the creator, this Jesus lives in you. So as you quiet your heart, just receive him afresh, the fullness of who he is. And as you're doing that, is there anything specifically, specific aspect of him that he wants you to experience more fully? Maybe it's his grace. Maybe it's his truth that he wants to shine the light on some area of our lives that he wants to bring his cleansing into. So let's just receive and just afresh, just allow Jesus to be the fullness of who he is in us. And I pray Jesus, you would help us live more and more in this awareness of your presence in us. God, increase our hunger for you to know you more deeply, to experience you more fully, and to see you, Jesus, 
in the fullness of who you are. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello. Welcome to our conversation here. Alan, thank you for your message. And yeah. I'm curious to hear thoughts here. And what was, can I start with asking, what was your journey coming to today? Because I know you, you mentioned you had been kind of wrestling with it. Like, what were the things that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, oh gosh, um, the, these sermons in John have been, they've been kind of challenging. And I think um, this one, especially as a pastor, it's weird to say, but you, when you come across a pastor like this, that is so well known and so important, you don't want to blow it. You know, Mm. you want to uh, really get at the heart of what is happening here. Yeah. And so I ended up and I think, too, there's such theological depth that I really was working and struggling some. I'm struggling, but just working to make it, like, how do we apply this? What does this mean, not just yeah. for a person becoming a Christian? What does this mean for people who have been Christians for a long time? And right. this, the, you know, that, so that was probably the biggest challenge and why I'd been working on it several hours and revising and just trying to find that place where I felt like, okay, this is applicable to everyone, hopefully applicable to everyone who's hearing. So Yeah. Anytime that, you know, any person who you're listening to says, I was wrestling with this, I'm like, hmm, I wonder what was <laughs> <Yeah>. going on. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's so true. This is such an amazing chapter and you want to do justice to what's yeah. happening there. Well, yeah. I mean, like, so everything else that comes in John, it's it's like stories, it's narrative, it's yep. fun, it's engaging, but all of it's built on what's happening there in that it first is. chapter. Right. Um, and it's, you know, and I know KJ kind of talked about it a couple weeks a ago, bit. but like if we don't understand who Jesus was, like none of that other stuff's going to make sense. And and I love that that's where you landed with this. Yep. Um it's hard, so I'm really glad I didn't get assigned <laughs> these weeks. I'm just, uh, I'll be honest. Well, <laughs> what, yeah, I did, I mean, I think it's just so important to, I had to review a little bit, wanted to, from a little different angle, but um, KJ made that point as well, that John, he really, and I emphasize this more than anything, of the first five verses, we didn't look in detail there, but this idea of the logos, the word, right. John starts like with a Greek mindset, mm-hmm. trying to connect with a Greek and a Hebrew audience. Right. And so that's where I was starting in this message to just really unpack what is this logos? What did Greeks believe? Because then he he acknowledges that. He doesn't put them down for that. He acknowledges this right. logos. But then he gives the, you know, the one-two punch. Right. This logos has actually come to us and is a man. I mean, that's when like, what he's saying is so staggering, but you kind of got to understand the backdrop right. of the Greek mindset in order to let that declaration, verse 14, actually have its full effect. Yes. What, and I think yeah. that whole idea, right, like talking about the the Greco, you know, way of thinking and the Roman way of thinking, like, or Jewish, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. It's almost like like John is is making this subliminal point. He does it pretty explicitly later, but it's like, hey, this Jesus He's not just for the Jews. He's for everyone. Yep. And I think that's really an important place to start. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny how he, I mean, it's cool how he does it because he's, he's people, you know, you can't say, oh, he's writing to the Greeks or he's writing to the Jews. He's doing both. Mm-hmm. Right. Because even in this prologue you have in the beginning, starts with in the beginning, words yep. right out of Genesis 1. A right. Jew is going to immediately latch onto that. 
was the word. Well, the word is the logos. That's a Greek kind of mindset. And then this whole idea of using tabernacle language. We've seen his glory. He is pulling that right out of Exodus 34. But a Greek wouldn't know that, and they wouldn't necessarily need to know that. But a Jewish person is going to be like, he's talking about when Moses, you know, when God revealed himself to Moses, but he couldn't fully do it there. Right. I mean, so there's so many ways John is going after both of those ideas at the same time or those groups of people at the same time. I really appreciated just as you're describing this, that Jesus tabernacled with us and just placing myself in that spot, you know, thinking now from the perspective of the Jews who had, you know, Secondhand experiences of mm-hmm. God that somebody would mm-hmm. hear from God and and would let them know, and yep. suddenly and obviously they understood the idea of the tabernacle in this very particular place where the presence of God was, and then now for the first time since the garden, God and people mm-hmm. are intermingling and they're in the same dwelling in the same place rather than something you. They, we take it, I think I take it for granted because we're on this side of history, but for them who only ever heard from somebody else and uh, suddenly here's Jesus and, you know, and he's Mm -hmm. right here. Um, I love that. That's such a great analogy of the garden, returning to the garden in a sense, because in, in the meantime, it was a physical location, tabernacle, and then the permanent tabernacle was the temple right but if someone wanted to meet with god they had to go to a place yeah right they had to go to that and then you're right the priest had to go on their behalf and you couldn't enter in i mean all this stuff so john what john is saying here is so it's so radical yeah so transformative and let me ask you this so you, you talked about this reality that john's ultimate point was to show us that we can live in this reality of what it means for god to be here with us um, and, then, and then you talked about how you had to like pause and just kind of sit with that and embrace that. Yeah. But you never really talked about what that experience is like. But you said it was good. But like, wh- what was God? Like, I was just wondering in my head, like, what was mm. God saying to you in that? Like, how was He speaking to you? Was He encouraging you? Like, what was that like for you? Yeah, I didn't really go there because it wasn't one of those. It was more of a pause, like a, a few moments, few minutes to almost just delight in Mm. this truth and the fullness of who Jesus is in me. So it wasn't even, okay, I got to hear his voice. What are you saying to me here? As much as do we take time to just realize we think about these things, we talk about these things, we listen to sermons, but do we ever stop and just take time to ponder this reality that Jesus, this Jesus lives in me? Yeah. This true light and all of that, you know what I mean. So it was more. I was probably I'd describe it as a centering experience. Yeah. And and the reason I was I was thinking about that. So you know we we had a staff lunch this last week, and me and KJ and Ben Fusco, we were all at the table together, <laughs> and we were actually talking about deconstruction, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes in the context yep. of Christianity, and how a lot of times people turn it into this thing where it's, well, I got to learn to do this, and then I got to learn to do that. Like, it's all kind of under the guise of deconstruction, but it's all these things you're adding to yourself. But then we started talking about our children and the joy that they experience, and it's before they've learned to do anything, right? Mm. They're just fully who they are. And I started thinking about that in the context of really this whole topic you're talking about. Like, what happens when Mm. 
maybe I remove my to-do list of Christianity for a little bit and all the things I think I should be doing or that like I feel like God has called me to do and actually just sit with this truth. And so I actually, I did that last night. Um, and and I, I can't say it was productive in the sense of like I didn't get anything done. But the joy that I felt in that moment of knowing like, and he's here and he gets me. And that's enough. I, I feel like I need to make that more of a practice in my life because yep. it, right. it makes everything else that comes after that so much more enjoyable and easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I remember, um, I think it was the end of Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Faith, or a case for, I think it was the case for faith. And he talks about Charles Templeton, this guy that uh, Billy Graham and Charles Templeton were both colleagues and they were both evangelists and had, and, and Templeton, many people thought was more gifted than Billy Graham, but Templeton started to have a deconstruction mm-hmm. um, experience about the Bible and things. And he ended up turning away yep. from his faith. And, um, and so then decades later, Lee Strobel reaches out to him to talk about that. And so they talk about it and everything. And he's older, very, he was near death, I think, older man. And at one point, he says, he's, he's talking to Charles Templeton about Jesus or what do you, whatever, that, and what this is like without Christianity and all that. And then Templeton says, I miss him. Yep. Hmm. And to me, that hmm. is like, deconstruction would look very different if those of us, when we're deconstructing something, at the foundation of that is this intimate relationship with Jesus, this love relationship with yep. Jesus. And then when we have things, I don't understand this, and I don't understand this, and, and I don't know why this church did that, and I don't, you know, all, all that stuff, and the church, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. When we have all that, but if that's our foundation, it right. seems like we can navigate the the doubts and the questions because of this kind of intimacy that we have with right. him. And Templeton, it was just sad that he missed that relationship. So, so what's mm. crazy is Billy Graham was also going through some of that same deconstruction stuff at the same yep. time. And then he was up at Forest Home. And I've actually been to this very place where this happened, where he just took his Bible out and he said, like, Lord, I got all these questions. I don't know how to answer them. T- Templeton's making some really great points but I know you yep, and I'm going to lean into that and I'm going to trust you. And I may not understand it all and that's okay because I know your heart and I know you love me. Mm. Like that's, that's, that's so really the big difference. I think it's, it's, can we trust that foundational thing? Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. I love that you brought back the, the analogy of the art restoration, yes. because I think it, it's so encouraging to think that whenever there are these strange things that get attached just knowing they're the the or the real the 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 original mm. right the the truth of who God is and our relationship with him like what you're saying that foundation then having that faith to be able to to clear the the surface and the dust the the other things that got like what you're saying about the kids like we're as adults we have had all these things attached along our journey and maybe our children are having a little mm-hmm. bit more of a, an, an organic and less corrupted experience of their faith. And I think an understanding that it's a clearing up so we, we can see what is in a more true way. Um, I feel, yeah, I feel like what's underneath that painting is Jesus, right? Yeah. Because that's, I mean, that's ultimately what, 
the dirt and dust and what John is trying to get us to see is Jesus. And I think sometimes we, we forget that Jesus is the word, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and that's yeah. not to minimize the Bible in any way, but at the same time, Jesus is the word of God, right? He is the word. And the more clearly we see him, I think then it becomes more about this relationship and the truth of who he is. And granted, the Bible shows us who he is, right? but he is the word, the logos that reveals to us what God is like. Mm-hmm. And so that I think is needs to, at the, as we're deconstructing, if we're deconstructing and we're uh-huh. getting rid of dirt and grime and all that on a, on a painting, yeah. underneath all that, it's Jesus, right? Yeah. That's who we ultimately want to see. Mm. Well, I think that's, for me, at least in my life and in my journey, you know, whenever I'm struggling with stuff or I'm feeling overwhelmed, um, I know that that's my pathway forward. It's go back to Jesus. It's it's not do more. It's actually do less. Just be with Him more. Mm-hmm. Um, Love that. And and honestly, like that's like the hardest thing to do. Yep. Uh, because in our culture, like just me, who I am, like I'm a driven individual. It's like, well, I got to add more. I've got to find more things to do. It's like, yeah. No, maybe maybe I just need to go back to the basics, yeah. right? And and that's something I know that we'll see. John talked about with Jesus, like he, he did that too. When he needed space, when he was busy, he, he went away to be alone just to be with the Father. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, yeah, I think our longing for connection, you're talking about the, you were studying and you were thinking and then you stopped to actually experience. Mm-hmm. And I think the three of us are very much that way. Like we're, we can geek out and what does this mean and study and research and we love to ask questions and I, I'm totally with you. There have been plenty of times that it's a hard stop, hard stop. <laughs> Just go experience him. Go sit with him. And yeah. So maybe this would be a good place to call a hard stop here today. I talk about a segue. Let's do that. Well, yeah. I, I was just, I, yeah, definitely want him to do that. I do think <laughs> just that realization that John, the more as we spend time in it, it he's a very spiritual writer mm-hmm. and he... And he's talking about the Holy Spirit a lot, and he talks about abiding in Christ. Right. And I feel like that's what John is after, this experiential relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. We're not just taking this just from chapter one. This is what this whole book is about, encountering him in real ways. And so taking time to do that and just to be with him, I think, is so valuable, letting the truth that we hear about permeate our heart, and we just sit in it. It's not productive at some level, it's just, but we're just being right. with him, you know, which I think is is really important. Yeah. Yeah. He's laying the foundation of what he's going to bring out uh-huh. of being the being one, let us be one and be yep. with him yes. and as he's with the father and all yep. that. It's all about the connection. It is. Yeah. That's good. Well, thank you cool. guys for yeah. the conversation. Thanks. And thank you for joining us in this time. Enjoy the rest of your day. See you next time.